The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 574 for June 11th, 2017. WWDC 2017 shows us iOS 11 and new iPads, plus how to get voiceover LTE on prepaid. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Well, the big news this week came out of Apple, and specifically on Monday with the keynote address, kicking off WWDC 2017 iOS 11 was announced, new iPads were announced, and we'll talk all about it after we go through the rest of the news. First up, the Supreme Court on Monday said it will hear a case regarding whether or not law enforcement can access certain types of cell location data without a warrant. As it stands today, the government does not need to get a warrant when seeking location and other information held by phone companies. In a 1979 court case, Smith v. Maryland, the Supreme Court decided that a suspect has no reasonable expectation of privacy with respect to his location because he willingly dialed phone numbers into his home phone, thus providing the phone company a third party with that data. Personal data held by third parties is not as protected as information held by the actual suspect. This third-party doctrine is still being applied today in lower courts and is what allows law enforcement to seek suspects' historical movements from cell phone companies without obtaining a warrant. Since the 1979 case, the Supreme Court has ruled that the government needs a warrant to seek GPS data as well as to search cell phones of suspects. A new case, Carpenter v. the United States, argues that the third-party doctrine is essentially outdated and that law enforcement seeking such data should be required to obtain a warrant as it would for GPS data. More specifically, Carpenter alleges that gleaning location data from third parties without a warrant violates the Fourth Amendment. Given the varying decisions on this matter from lower courts, the Supreme Court will hear Carpenter versus the United States to provide the needed guidance moving forward. Well, it seems with the current environment we have with, you know, the, the, the ever looming threat of terrorism and, and, and the, the, the controversy of, you know, locked phones and all this, uh, uh, you know, real kind of politically motivated uh, desire to have all this information, I have a feeling this may not be uh, uh, something that will hold up very well because it's uh, because because of the current environment. It, it's a I think it's a valid point. And, you know, ultimately, the, we're, again, talking about something that is at this point almost 40 years old, uh, certainly not relevant in any respect to the, you know, the technology that is here today versus what we had back then. And ultimately, the way that these decisions are, are being uh, levied, um, it, it just it, it doesn't uh, doesn't line up with what I think, especially not just the court systems and, you know, the jurisdictions that have. Um, you know, the ultimate authority over what's happening, but but really what the public is asking for and what they how they want to be governed these days. Right. Because, you know, your landline phone attached to the wall, you know, it's a completely different environment for that data as you're calling somebody, you know, creating that kind of that third party, uh, you know, location based data that you were at home making a phone call. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a totally different world now. And uh, I think it's great that the Supreme Court is hearing this case and uh, will will hopefully provide the guidance that we need to uh, to have this stuff uh, kind of hammered out and, and smooth, uh, smooth out as we go moving forward. Yeah. And hopefully wa- uh, warrants will be required. But, uh, you know, I'm not sure if that's, uh, you know, if that's the way they'll go. Yeah, it's I, I would imagine that at some point that's going to be uh, a requirement. But um, but we'll see what happens here with the uh, with the decision. 
Sprint this week said it was giving new and existing customers free access to the Tidal music streaming service for six months. The service provider exclusive access provides exclusive access to select music artists uh, and other content that normally costs $10 per month. The promotion begins June 9th and is available to Android and iOS devices. Sprint is offering switchers up to $650 to cover fees incurred by porting to the carrier. Sprint is still offering four lines of unlimited talk, text, and data for $90 per month with AutoPay, though the cost of the plan will jump to $130 after June of 2018. Sprint also allows unlimited customers to stream video, but it's at 1080p HD and also streaming music at up to 1.5 megabits per second and games at 8 megabits per second. In device news, just a single story here. HTC uh, said its U11 flagship smartphone is now shipping to those who may have pre-ordered the handset. The unlocked models available from Amazon and HTC.com, as well as in Sprint stores, are stocking it as well. The phone has a 5.5-inch quad HD display, Snapdragon 835 processor, 12-megapixel main camera, Android 7.1 Nougat. The cost of the device, $649. In software news, Facebook this week said it plans to provide humanitarian and other aid organizations with real-time access to its maps during natural disasters and other emergencies. According to Facebook, it will strip user identities from its map data while still showing where people are moving, where people might be marking themselves for safe, and other similar trending information. So, for example, location density maps can show first responders where people are located before, during, and after a natural disaster. This can provide insight on exactly what areas are impacted. Movement maps reveal patterns of movement between cities, towns, and even neighborhoods over a period of several hours, which Facebook suggests can help aid workers predict where resources might be needed. The safety checks uh, on the maps provide first responders with information about where more and fewer people are checking in as safe, which can reveal most vulnerable areas impacted by a specific event. Facebook said it will share the information with trusted organizations, including UNICEF, the International Federation of the Red Cross, and Red Crescent societies as well as World Food Program. Uh, All of these, Facebook says, they hope will be able to share that information uh, and even governments over time. People generally provide this information to Facebook via their mobile phones where, of course, the location is being tracked. Right. And of course, it just goes to show how important that uh, mobile phone infrastructure is, the the, the actual carrier networks and that they have battery backups and they have, uh, you know, either, you know, double redundancy on the actual backhauls for uh, the towers, you know, fiber and wireless, uh, you know, microwave to other towers, uh, especially in areas that are more vulnerable to uh, natural disasters. Yeah, natural disasters and or events that can could happen, uh, you know, certain terrorism events, you know, obviously are preceded by cutting of communication lines and the like, or at least it's part of the uh, the attack that happens. So there are some there are some very interesting things that they're talking about doing here with this. And uh, obviously it sounds like, um, you know, it, it's a, one of the best possible sources of, of that location information. I mean, you talk about a universal tool that so many people in this world are using and Facebook has, you know, garnered the, uh, you know, the adoption by whatever it is, like 2 billion people call it a third of the entire world is now on Facebook. And so even if they get just a fraction of that, uh, you know, it, you know, the people that are actually using it, uh, they're going to be able to get some pretty solid information about what's happening and uh, where it's happening and be able to then hopefully pass that on to be used for good. OnePlus said owners of the OnePlus 3 and the OnePlus 3T handset should expect to receive Oxygen OS 4.1.5 over the next few days. 
Oxygen 4.1.5 upgrades uh, both handsets to Android 7.1.1 Nougat and also delivers a wide range of bug fixes and performance improvements. The installs of the May Android security patch will occur with this update, as well as updates to network settings and select carriers, fixes for Android auto connection issues, and resolving a storage problem. Also, they've made optimizations to battery performance, as well as Wi-Fi, GPS, Bluetooth, the camera, and the screenshot tool. Uh, the update can be manually triggered via the settings menu, but will eventually reach the OnePlus 3 and the 3T through an over-the-air update. Now, time to talk about Apple and all the news out of WWDC. On the software side, iOS 11, Apple's next-generation mobile operating system, was featured, kicking off uh, with an update to messages. Uh, iOS 11 improves discoverability for stickers and emoji, the ability to automatically synchronize conversations across devices. So that means iPhones, iPads, and the Mac OS will all be in sync with messages, including deleted messages and threads. Uh, and Apple says iMessage content will now be stored in the cloud, meaning it will use less storage on mobile devices. Apple Pay also gets updated in iOS 11. There's the addition of person-to-person -person payments. The idea is you can now send money from one person to another when cash isn't available. This is a service similar to PayPal's Venmo. Apple, of course, also upgraded Siri. They used deep learning to create a new voice for Siri, so now you can choose either female or male Siri voices. The app interface now displays multiple results and can handle translations. Uh, the, the translation occurs between English and either Chinese, French, German, Italian, or Spanish. Uh, Apple says the new OS will be available in the fall for the iPhone 5S, SE, uh, or SE and 6S, 6 Plus, uh, 6S Plus, 7, and 7 Plus, of course. On the tablet side, iOS 11 is compatible with the iPad Mini 2, 3, and 4, as well as the iPad Air and Air 2, and the newer iPad and all of the iPad Pros. Older iPhones use 32-bit processors, and while every iPhone and iPad released since 2013 uses a 64-bit processor with backward 32-bit compatibility, one of the under-the-hood changes in iOS 11 is dropped support for 32-bit apps, meaning that moving all apps over to the 64-bit process has left some phones in the dark. Now, since the iPhone 5 and 5C can only run these 32-bit apps, iOS 11 not supported for either. Starting at some point later this year, Apple will as well entirely drop 32-bit apps from the App Store, and such apps, uh, they say, have not been updated by their developers in years. But some nice updates. Uh, certainly, it still maintains very much the same look and feel of the similar, the current iOS 10 uh, on the, the iPhone side, that is. Some changes on the iPad side, which we'll talk about. But uh, generally, it's going to feel very much the same, just some nice upgrades within there. Now, on the application side, Apple totally overhauled the App Store for iOS devices. It now features a new Today screen in order to start the in-store browsing experience a little bit quicker. The view will show the newest applications or important updates, and each day Apple will highlight an app of the day and a game of the day. The T Today tab also provides a quick view of the most important things happening in the App Store. Games will be highlighted in their own tab, complete with charts and data on in-app purchases and other costs. Apps will have a distinct tab to separate them from games. Apps and games will have their own product pages with photos, videos, reviews, and more. And Apple says moving forward, the majority of apps and games are approved by Apple within 24 hours of submission, some within even just an hour. 
The new App Store will be available on iOS 11 when it arrives later this year. Some other interesting features have been added to the software as well, including automatic features uh, for setup uh, and account login. And this extends to Wi-Fi networks as well. So if a friend comes over with an iPhone running iOS 11, you can automatically log them into your Wi-Fi with just a single tap. So the UI is very similar to the AirPods pairing process. When a Wi-Fi password screen pops up on a new device, other nearby iOS devices that are already on the network will try to help you log in. So if you bring the device already on the Wi-Fi network close to the device that you're trying to join it to, uh, there will be a pop-up card that says an unjoined device is trying to access the network. Then, with just a single tap, you can send the Wi-Fi password over the air without actually providing the password itself. And after a short delay, the iPhone password field is populated and the phone can immediately connects to the network. So this new flow means you don't have to find the Wi-Fi password on the back of a router or give out your personal password to anybody. Just tell your guests to tap on the network name and accept them with a tap on your personal device. The only requirement is that the iPhone or iPad knows the password uh, must be nearby and unlocked. So you can't just uh, ultimately just, I'll just, request from people's phones that are in the same room that person has to actively unlock the phone and tap on to accept you onto the network yeah a very handy feature if you have a complicated password you don't really want to give it out uh, i'm curious if this feature then uh saves us back to that person's keychain which then can go back to their macs and ipads and other devices i'm, I'm curious about that aspect of it but it's a uh, it's nice not to actually have to share your password uh of your network and of course it's a lot quicker to just have them tap on a thing that says yes accept and I mean, I love this for the, I'll just say the personal side, right? For someone comes over to your house and, hey, what's your Wi-Fi? And here it is and we're ready to go. Um, but I think about it on the corporate side. So if you've got corporate iOS devices, those devices that are logged on to the corporate Wi-Fi, if you bring then a personal device uh, into it, can that personal device somehow jump on or is there going to be uh, a safeguard in place so that doesn't happen? Well, if your corporate uh, Wi-Fi network setup is appropriate, uh, which you which would use something like Radius authentication, that wouldn't count because you would need to authenticate with your username and password that your network uses. Or uh, like because uh, I have that uh, use case, but I also have a an iOS. Uh, uh, network, which does have a fixed password, but since you can't actually pull that password out of the device, it is you know relatively secure, and that is pushed via group policy, and I can guarantee that group policy pushed um, uh, Wi-Fi networks will not be eligible for this service uh, because, like, for uh, pretty much everything else, uh, when when you've got a, a policy push for the iPhone or profile push, it, it does not allow it to be shared, does not allow access to it. It's uh, kind of isolated from the user. It's a sandboxed piece of the you know, of the operating system. Okay, well, that's good to know. Um, you know, but either way, it, it's a it's a nice feature, and there's going to be a number of things that we see as we start to unravel uh, iOS 11. So uh, another one here, if your device is tight on storage, deleting rarely used apps is, of course, one way to free up space. But until now, you would lose the settings and data data for that application, so you'd have to start it all over again if you redownloaded the app in the future, and that is no longer uh, the case. So in, this is a great example, especially with older games that didn't use iCloud uh, data to actually store like your game progress and your game settings. You know, you'd have to have, let's say, Grand Theft Auto. It's a two and a half gig uh, game. You'd have to keep that game installed 
in order to keep the 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 the, the, the settings or or your progress in the game. And you couldn't you you know you'd have to do a complete device backup if you were changing to a new iPad like me. You know I would actually do this with you know Grand Theft Auto. I'd have to you know back up the entire device, restore it to the new iPad, and you know continue on without ever deleting that game uh, if I wanted to to keep my uh, my progress within the game. So this option is called Offload App. Uh, and it does keep, like uh, as you mentioned, that 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 data piece that you know figures out where you are, uh, your progress through exactly. <clears throat> uh, reinstalling the app will place it back uh, within uh, the the same configuration that it was in the past. Um, the settings screen shows you the space used by the application itself um, and by the documents and data. So there's also a second option that will allow you to automatically remove r- rarely used apps when you start running low on storage. Um, that it will be found under General iPhone Storage. When that is enabled, your settings and data will be automatically saved. The only downside is that you may uh, unexpectedly find an app uh, that you want to use is not available without downloading it again if you have that set up. But um, that is probably a situation where it's it's uh, you know a, a very limited you know set of use uses when you're going to need that and ultimately quick download and you'll have it back again. Well, it's nice because this does provide the user with a little more a uh, little more control of what what's going on, and hopefully the data is still being you know being backed up either by iCloud or by iTunes when it's on your device. I would assume it would be um, because that that only makes sense that you can keep the data and you, you know move it along uh, without having to have the actual app with it. Yeah, and I I, I love that uh, we're we're not we're starting to unbundle those things because it drives me crazy uh, that we are you, the, the actual data that is used. And the application itself is not separated out from the other data. So this is this is a, a very positive thing. Um, On to uh, another interesting one that is, I think, going to affect quite a few people uh, that are Gmail users with iPhones. iOS 11 um, appears to have a solution for the previous lack of push notifications within the operating system. So users of the iOS 11 beta are reporting that push notifications with Google accounts configured in iOS mails, uh, the iOS mail application are coming in as quickly as say the official Gmail application. So under iOS 11, there's a new automatically fetch schedule. uh, And so Apple clarified what's happening, saying that the behavior is still using iOS's fetch methods. Um, According to the new automatic um, automatically schedule fetch option, your phone will fetch new data in the background only when powered on uh, or on power on Wi-Fi. But what it means is that you're getting the notifications. And then ultimately, when you're happen to be, I guess, on power, then it's doing that automatic synchronization. But at least you're seeing that an email is coming in. So I wonder what's going on here, because, you know, we lost that support for Gmail um, instant push notifications, essentially back when Gmail got away from using the Active Sync protocol. Uh, for a long time, you could actually, you know, that that's how you'd connect to Gmail if you wanted that uh, right away. Uh, Gmail uses IMAP, uh, the, the, the active IMAP, where it can give you that notification. And of course, when you've got the Gmail app installed, it uses the Apple push notification services. So I wonder what's going on here, if it, it's somehow using the uh, Gmail app's push notifications, because I never did see clarification if somebody had uninstalled the Gmail app and was still getting these um, these notifica- or the, the, the iOS mail notifications right away too, because I wonder if they were tied together somehow where the, tri- the, the incoming Apple push notification from Gmail was then causing the, the, the built-in mail app to go get the mail. So that's what I was kind of curious about. I didn't uh, have time to experiment with it, and I, I don't have an iOS uh, 11 device yet. So that's one thing I'm kind of curious about. Or is it maybe just through IMAP Idle where they're able to to get that just like you are with mail on the Mac? 
Right, and they may they may have that uh, feature enabled now because why not? That's been a you know that's a, a function that's been out for years and years and years. So that maybe they finally figure out how to make it more battery saving or something like that. Well, I hope it stays in and it's not just uh, part of the betas. So we'll we'll see with that one. Uh, on the on the phone features side, uh, Apple will now let iPhone owners use their handsets NFC radios for more than just Apple Pay. Uh, Apple introduced Core NFC uh, or Core NFC API. This will permit the iPhone's NFC radio to detect NFC tags and read information contained therein. The new API gives developers access to the NFC radio so their own apps can read tags and give users more information about their physical environment and the real-world objects in it. So, for example, your app might give uh, information about products uh, the way in th- they find in store or exhibits, such as in a museum, uh, based on the documentation published to the Apple developer website. Only the iPhone 7 and 7 Plus will gain the ability to interact with external NFC tags. The expanded NFC functionality will arrive to end users later this year. I, I would imagine this uh, this expands out to all sorts of different things. I'm thinking like prox readers for door access and stuff like that, uh, and you know all sorts of different places where uh, you ultimately would love to be able to use NFC to communicate uh, short range with something, but not and, and be able to do that electronically. What's interesting, they, they specify 7 and 7 Plus, so uh, that makes me think that they must have made some hardware changes uh, in the 7 to actually allow... Uh, OS access to NFC that's outside of Apple Pay. So I wonder, you know, if initial initially they had it, you know, just completely secured into that secure enclave to keep that from uh, being communicated with. And of course, it leads me to the next question. It's like, why don't the iPads still have NS- NFC in them? Because you can still use it for other things like this. It, it still frustrates me. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's one of those things I more and more, uh, I think they announced that we're getting close to 50% of all retailers in the United States have uh, Apple Pay uh, at them at this point. Uh, I just used it this morning for one, although I went to two places, one had it, one didn't. So there you go, 50%. Um, and, you know, I, I, I do love it still when it when it's available. And I it's just very quick and simple to use and a lot easier than pulling out a card and feels a lot more secure. And you're just, I just like it a lot better. So um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll kind of watch this and see what, what else gets integrated with this and, and the uses of the, the NFC radios. Um, now on the wearable side, watch OS 4 was announced on Monday. Uh, one of the primary items was uh, the new Siri watch face that includes the owner's personalized data, such as commute times, calendar appointments, reminders, photo memories, weather updates, and more. Also, a kaleidoscope watch face changes over time, and a wider selection of Disney characters are being added to the watch faces. Apple says activity notifications will be more personalized, such as goal achievements, and adding of monthly challenges and new celebrations for hitting milestones. Finally, a new workout app makes it quicker to start workouts, such as swims, hikes, runs, and more. Next, Apple has improved its cloud storage options and pricing by upping the one terabyte plan to two terabytes, all while keeping the monthly cost at the same $10. Apple did not change the storage allotment nor the cost of the other two storage plans, which are either $1 a month for 50 gigs or $3 a month for 200 gigs. But all iPhone and iPad users will receive free access to that five gigs of online cloud storage that they have for years. And Apple says subscribers to the one terabyte plan will be automatically upgraded to the new two terabyte plan. Uh, along with the increase in capacity, iOS 11, uh, with iOS 11, users will be able to share the storage that they have in iCloud between family members, negating the need for multiple separate plans. So um, I was very excited to hear this one. Uh, both my wife and I have got uh, the $1.50 gig plan, um, and I fully intend to upgrade to the 200 gigabyte plan for basically only $1 more per month. And uh, so absolutely, we'll be looking forward to taking advantage of that and storing more of the photos that we never look at uh, with Apple. So that'll be great. 
Uh, next up, Apple also announced that the new mobile operating system will soon become the biggest augmented reality platform with the adoption of AR Kit. This is a way for developers to take advantage of existing iOS hardware and software to generate AR experiences. Apple is working with game and other content developers to bring AR to the iPhone and iPad. The new AR content is expected to arrive later this year. Yeah, if you want something kind of neat, watch that part of the keynote where they they're they're demonstrating this. And the the fact that it could, you know, track the, you know, they used the table as an example and they had a, you know, kind of a a game scene running around the table in real time. I mean, they were showing the audience of the of the keynote and moving the iPad around and in and, and all the device or the devices and the, the objects within the game were were on the table and and staying on the table and you could you know swirl around it with the camera view and everything stayed in perspective and the shadows and everything was all accurate i mean it's really very impressive to see that technology in use in real time pretty pretty uh pretty stunning really well, I would agree. And, you know, along with this, uh, these AR features, iOS 11 is going to take advantage of machine learning uh, to a much higher degree. So you're going to have more APIs that developers can use for tracking of, you know, the face with the camera, uh, landmarks, text, and, and so on. Um, Apple says applications like Photos and Siri will rely on the machine learning to generate a lot of the results. And developers will be able to take advantage uh, of this these new tools with the APIs that are being released. And um, you know, both of these combined, this this machine learning along with the AR, is really what the future of iOS is is starting to shape up to be. And, and you can start to kind of see these pieces coming into place. And you can argue that you know we've had AR um, on you know Android and and with the Galaxy devices, with the Gear headset and all of that that have been around for well over a year now. But um, I, I think there's there's something to be said for for what's going to be happening on on Apple's side as well because of the number of of devices that are uh, not only out there but the number of people that are potentially going to be upgrading to future iOS devices and that user base as a collective as a whole is much larger than say a you know who is purchasing the Samsung Galaxy devices and so I think I think there's it's a it's good for the entire industry whether whatever side of the fence you happen to land on because it's it's Apple pushing things forward as they always do that helps to kind of mainstream this stuff even more than it even was and I think I think that's what's really beneficial about what they're doing Right. And of course, if you take, uh, you know, the, the one of the most popular games is the Pokemon Go. They demonstrated that where, you know, the the, the actual Pokemon creature is sitting on the, the sidewalk and it actually looks like it's sitting on the sidewalk. Uh, whereas the, the current version today, they, they do have a camera view and it shows it, but the, it kind of jerks around and it, it, it doesn't look like it's actually sitting where it should be. And it, it's not the right perspective and it's it kind of floats around and it's it's it you know it, it's kind of cool but it looks nothing like what they demonstrated in the in the keynote and uh, you know that kind of stuff is great for games you know I don't know what kind of uh, other functionality or other you know purposes that the AR will really uh, give us but of course it's you know technologically it's really amazing to be able to make those calculations and to to, to place objects in the real world digitally and it's just uh, it, it's really just cool technology it is and i mean it again it's not like it's an overnight this is going to change how you use your device or change what you use it for um but it's it's going to slowly creep into varying things and you're going to be able to do um different things with the device and there will be use cases that will crop up that will be 
uh, you know, one of those, like, I can't believe we never had this before. And, uh, it, and it's going to be all very good stuff. So, um, that will be, uh, that, that will be more, we'll see more of that. I should say within the next, probably, you know, a couple of months. And then when uh, iOS 11 rolls out here later this fall, then we'll start to see some of that stuff actually hitting the devices of users. Moving on from iOS onto the hardware side, Apple announced the HomePod. This is a new in-home speaker similar to the Google Home and Amazon Echo, featuring a Siri voice-based assistant that can act on spoken requests and focus uh, on music. So the HomePod and the music focus works natively with Apple Music, of course. Apple says it developed the HomePod to sound good uh, and learn about its surroundings with an adaptation. It's got a seven-tweeter array to drive audio in multiple directions and a four-inch woofer that's upward-facing. It's powered by an A8 processor with real-time acoustic modeling, audio beamforming, and multi-channel echo cancellation. It can sense the size of a room and is in, in how it will perform uh, in order to fill the space with that sound. Uh, Apple will be releasing that device later this year, probably December, for $300. So the initial reviewer said that the the sound quality was very, very good on it uh, for when they saw demos after WDC. So that's kind of interesting. So that really, um, you know, it goes, uh, it really kind of shows that they're they're aiming for the, the Sonos, uh, you know, competing with that kind of platform, not competing with the Amazon Alexa dot and the, the Echo, uh, because, you know, those are you know, Amazon is trying, trying to sell things and they're trying to, you know, tie into their services where Apple is more privacy focused and they, they specifically stated that for this device as well. And uh, I, I think they're, they, they want you to they want to provide you with music and, and kind of limited uh, voice interaction, unlike kind of the home assistance of the Google platform. So that's really kind of how to think of this product. Yeah. And I, I would, as a Sonos user, I would anticipate that this is going to um, displace or at least you know, slow down the sales of Sonos for a little while until people have decided whether or not this is going to be right for them. Because the other side of this is it's, it is a premium product. Um, just like, I think it's the Sonos three is the kind of the price point that this is running at. Um, so if you certainly could get a bunch of these and they've got, um, the Apple AirPlay two standard, which allows for some of these things to be tied together and operate within a home together. But, um, it's, it's going to, it also is driven in a different way. So you're using it with just Apple music and it'll be, I'm sure with the APIs, it'll be opened up to other applications as well, uh, at some point, but it, it's, it's going to be a little bit limited. So I think it's going to be fun to watch just how now we've got, I'll just say a real competitor. If, if this is what it is that you're trying to do, not, not a Bluetooth stream, but like an internet stream back to a product. Um, this is a much, I think, better option that Apple has put out here. And I, I, I have no intention of not buying one, uh, but I also have Sonos, so I'm going to be in that camp as well. Right. So you'd mentioned uh, AirPlay 2, which is a really uh, you know neat technology with Apple AirPlay. But what uh, the nice thing about AirPlay 2 is that, uh, and it'll help everybody that has uh, Apple TVs and those um, the the airport base stations where there's speaker outputs, where now you have the ability to control the volume in each one of those rooms. So if you've got your iPhone playing music and you have it kind of throughout your house, uh, right now you can only just, you've got, you can choose which ones you want, but you can't actually adjust the volume independently like you can in iTunes. Uh, 
presently, but now they're going to bring that ability uh, to the iOS devices as well to be able to control the volume independently. So that's a really great upgrade for AirPlay, which is a it's it's kind of a it's an old technology, but it still is actually very very useful in things like this. Absolutely, it is, and and I think there's a lot of people that um, have set up home systems, you know, in that regard because they loved uh, the, the the functionality of it. Uh, so this is just kind of building on on that, and and obviously really good stuff. So also with this uh, Apple HomePod, it's going to be the ability to uh, operate the uh, the HomeKit devices as well. So if you don't have an Apple TV that's dedicated or an iPad that's dedicated to run those uh, home automation things, this will uh, do that as well for you. Yeah. So lots of uh, lots of reasons to love the HomePod. Um, it is a new device, obviously, that uh, we still have about six months left before we're going to see it in the real world. So uh, still some waiting to happen here. But ultimately, I think it's going to be a, a winner for them. And speaking of waiting, I'm surprised they announced it this early because all it does is give uh, give the competitors time to up their sound quality game. Like Amazon could easily upgrade the sound quality or and release a better speaker uh, with much better sound quality and and maybe kind of eat away at uh, Apple's uh, device here. Yeah, potentially. I mean, it's a it's a, an interesting play. Certainly, they are going after a, a, a very targeted audience, and I think they're you know they understand that their customer is going to wait for this, but. Um, those that might be kind of on the fence uh, and or not wanting to wait for it are c- could easily jump on something sooner and probably cheaper because there generally will be cheaper coming uh, from Amazon. And then there was the new iPad. So as expected, Apple unveiled a brand new iPad Pro, uh, 10.5 inches, uh, narrower bezels, but approximately the same size as the regular 9.7-inch iPad that we've seen for years. Uh, The size bezels are 40% smaller, side bezels that is. The screen uh, display can now house a full-size keyboard, uh, and their updates uh, to this device also carry through to the 12.9-inch full-size Pro that has been out since last year, uh, and will be both running the Apple A10X Fusion chip. The new iPad Pro includes a 50% brighter True Tone display, Pro Motion technology, which increases refresh rates up to 120 hertz, and that means the display is much smoother, and the Apple Pencil drawing is even better. Latency now down to 20 milliseconds. So yeah, so there's major, um, yeah, major improvements there with the the the, the pencil. Uh, what's interesting now is that they're um, the, the, the two iPad Pros are now kind of the same with the exact same features. They both have the iPhone 7 camera in them with optical image stabilization. So theoretically, that's uh, uh, it's it's better than the iPhone 7 camera because that's not optically sta- yeah, that's not optical uh, image stabilization. You have to go to the Plus model to actually get that. It doesn't have the dual cameras like the Plus model 7, but uh, it's, a, it's obviously a much better camera. Um, so that brings the true tone to the to the bigger model, which is something it did not have. Um, we've got uh, you know more storage at 512, so that's kind of a big deal for a lot of people. And now the the the, the storage is 64, 256, and 512, so that's kind of a nice jump for the starting. Um, I've got mine on order because I've got an iPad Air 2, uh, which uh, which is interesting, you know. Even with these iPads, the the processor generation is what's on the iPhone 7 right now. So it's already, you know, almost a year old at this point, even though it is an X, so it is faster. But my iPad Air 2 uh, is an iPhone, uh, essentially an iPhone 6 processor running on there. And the iPad Mini 4 is an iPhone 6 processor. And that's obviously getting kind of 
kind of long in the tooth, especially when you expect a bigger device driving more pixels is going to be nice and fast. So that's uh, one thing that's kind of disappointing about the iPads that they don't actually lead the the new processors with the iPad, but they, they trail behind a year. But I think they do that on purpose because it's a little cheaper for them because it's a lower volume device. So that's what's uh, that's the story. So hopefully I'll get that this week and uh, play with it and uh, see how it is. And and the device itself is about a centimeter bigger in each direction for the actual bezel. Um, it's interesting to go back to the old rumors of this bigger iPad, and and the rumors were specking it at the 10.5 inch model uh, with you know smaller bezels for almost a year now. So this device has been long in the making. Yeah, it has, and I you know I think a lot of people um, since those rumors first came out have been excited about this and in upgrading the screen just a little bit bigger. It's about 20 percent bigger. Um, but, uh, that also means that you're going to have a lot more real estate for a, not a lot big, much bigger of a package. And this was, I think one of the, the main complaints and slash Achilles heels of the larger 12.9 inch iPad and in that it was, it was great when you had it and you were using it, but it, it went just a little bit too big on the portability side because it basically feels like you're carrying around a full laptop at this point. So, uh, but either way, that size still remains. Um, the specs, like I said, were all upgraded. So you've got the parity now between them. And uh, ultimately it's a, now just a, a matter of which size do you want? And, and that's now the decision. You're not having to think about anything else. Right. So now they, they kept the, th- the thickness exactly the same as the iPad Air 2. So now there's not this weird uh, mix with the iPad Air 2 and the new iPad that they just released, which was the kind of the, essentially the same thickness as the iPad Air, the previous generation. So now it makes more sense that the, the, the way that the models are lined up for the iPad. Um, I am excited about upgrading to the four speaker, so I can't wait to hear that. Uh, it'll be kind of nice to have a flash on the, the camera because occasionally you're holding it in your hand and you want to take a picture of something you see, and uh, you know, flash will be great to have on the iPad. So uh, it, should be a, it should be kind of a fun device because I do use my iPad uh, a tremendous amount each day. Yeah, it's obviously the, the main device for you as uh, you know, my iPad is one for me as well. Um, and so very, very exciting to see these new ones. Now, on the software side, uh, there were a number of changes that came to iOS or are coming to iOS 11 uh, for the iPad. And these include a couple of, of pretty major ones, um, one of which is you've got a, a re-envisioned dock. So the dock on the bottom of the screen now is much more like uh, OS 10, And this is a, um, not to say that it's exactly the same, but you can effectively put the, as many icons in the dock as you want at this point. So it makes it much more of a, a desktop uh, style dock. Uh, also the multitasking and what they, I'll just say I can assimilate to as the spaces functionality of what you get with OS X um, allows you to pair multiple applications together uh, so that they are, let's just say, a mail and messages running side by side or uh, Evernote and Safari or whatever it is, and be able to then kind of switch back and forth between those spaces that have that that subset of apps working in it. You can also drag and drop between the applications, which makes it for a much easier multitasking device that uh, lets you do more with it, uh, more of desktop class functionality. And then finally, there's the files application that gets brought over, brought into iOS 11 now, which not not only interfaces with uh, the iCloud s- service, but also with other cloud-based storage services such as Dropbox and Box, and I can only imagine OneDrive and Google Drive and whatnot, that then allows you to drag and drop from those into, say, a mail message or into some other application that wants to use those files. And it makes it feel like an actual desktop style experience, which is going to be a much better experience for those of us like me who primarily use their iPads for business functions. So I'm really excited to see this. Right. There are major, major changes for multitasking. And uh, and of course, 
uh, with all of that multitasking, which is like two applications and a third one and a fourth one you can even get running depending on how you've got it at the screen range, the, uh, the, it seems like the, the, the new iPad Pro 10.5 does have four gigs of RAM as well as the 10 or the 12.9 staying at four gigs of RAM. So that was definitely for me, that was one feature I really uh, tried to nail down before I ordered it because if they were going to keep it at two gigs, uh, I, I don't know how that even possible, uh, how it could possibly run all those applications at the same time. I'm sure it could, but it wouldn't be good. And I think that's the uh, th- that's kind of the thing. The other thing that we haven't really talked about is that the 9.7-inch iPad Pro is effectively gone. I mean, it just like, vanished, and n- there was no conversation about it. It was just, we've now got this new size, and if you bought that other one, you know, tough. Well, not tough, but it was like this short-lived thing that was out for, when did that come out, last fall? I think so that, uh, no, it's been longer than that. I think it's almost a year, uh, I think it's a year, hasn't it? I thought it was last fall. I thought it was like September of last Last year that that thing came out so um it was it, it just an amazingly fast cycle because this this larger ipad came out earlier in the year i mean that's been out for almost a year and a half at this point so right yeah just, you know every once in a while they have one of these kind of short products uh, product cycles and and, and it, it it it's just they they needed to uh create a cheaper ipad i believe and they wanted to get uh, they they kind of wanted to distance themselves from the cheaper iPad. I think is w- what they really wanted to do because they you know choosing between the iPad and the iPad Pro 9.7 there wasn't a lot of differentiation. And then of course when the iPad Air 2 was still available, it, it was really kind of a strange uh, mix uh, uh, of of what to choose from. Yeah, and so makes more sense now as you've lined up. You'll see the you know the MacBook Pros, the multiple sizes of that, and then the MacBook, and now you've got the iPad Pros and the iPad. So you've got kind of some continuity there. So kind of tends you to think that we might see something similar to this happen with the phone side. Uh, the, the difference is that people are buying phones much more often than they're buying you know iPads or desktops. But at the same time, y- you kind of have to wonder if we're going to get to this like either buy you know this phone or this phone if you want the pro or we've got something a little bit cheaper which i guess we kind of have today as well so one one of my ma- also one of my major concerns was the uh, weight of the 10.5 and i did not want a device that was going to be uh, significantly heavier heavier which i was worried about it is heavier than the ipad air 2 and the ipad pro 9.7 which were the exact same weight uh, this, it, it's, it's like a, I can't remember the exact amount, but it is heavier, but not by a significant amount. It's a pretty tiny amount. Like, uh, maybe it was like 36 grams or 50 grams or 80 grams or something like that. Not, not a lot, but it's, it is heavier, but I would expect that with the bigger screen. Yeah. I, I guess that is, you know, you've got more glass, you've got more battery, you've got more metal. Um, you know, you had to order, of course, because of the size difference, a new case for it. Um, you chose not to go with one of the apple options they do have um, a new polyurethane and leather case for it uh, but you chose just to go with something off-brand right i did I, I ordered something 10 bucks on ebay for right now until i decide what to do and it is a full skin case uh, which i don't currently have in my ipad air 2 i kind of like the device being super duper thin and uh free but i didn't i, I want to kind of uh, look to see uh, how the options go i don't really have plans to get the keyboard for it uh, i don't need that weight and i don't ever really use a keyboard so I, i'm not interested in getting that part of it because it does have the smart connector on it um so i, I would prefer to get a smart cover uh but i didn't want to really uh i, I kind of wanted to see how it how it went first before i uh went to the smart cover 
Yeah, and I'm, you know, with the keyboard case itself, obviously they've got one now for it that is different than the 9.7. So if you're upgrading from that, you've got to get, you know, a new one of those because, of course, the size is different. But um, it is it is available uh, and basically the same. No upgrades to it in any regard as far as, you know, backlighting or additional rows or anything like that. It's still the same, just a little bit bigger. So and also the Apple Pencil remains the same product, but of course its support is much more improved. You can do angles on it and do a, a much faster refresh rate. They, they claim the screen provides a more paper-like experience. And I did order one of those, but I ordered a, a cheap one on eBay, uh, 80 bucks for a, a supposedly new one, um, which is you know $20 discounted because I, I just want to experiment with it. I really don't see myself using it much, but I'm really curious how it operates. The one thing that is, you know, just still baffling to me is that they ha- have the connector the way that it is. And, um, you know, the fact that you don't you've got a regular lightning female port on both the AirPods and on the Beats, you know, headphones. Uh, but they are and, and on the mice. Uh, it's all female. And then they've got the male on there. So the only way to charge it is through a device. No, it's not because it actually comes with a uh, a female female connector, so you can actually use a normal lightning cable to connect it. Yep, right. okay. It comes with a little adapter. I know uh, it, it's baffling that they did that, but I, I mean I, I understand why they did it because then oh you've got your iPad, you can charge it up quick, and that's the reason they did that. But I, I, it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. I, I guess perhaps um, I'd almost rather have it the other way, right? Like have the adapter with Absolutely. it to go a male to male adapter um, to make that connection but good thank you for the clarification with that uh either way it still seems very strange to me but moving on i can't wait to hear more about that um and while we didn't uh expect it to see any additional information about new iphones we did learn some interesting information uh this week and that is that it does not appear that the next generation of iphones will be capable of gigabit cellular connections and this all has to do with uh, a legal battle that the company has with modem supplier Qualcomm. Uh, so Apple uses both modems from Qualcomm and Intel, but only the Qualcomm X16 LTE modems are capable of gigabit Ethernet speeds today. All four major U.S. carriers are looking forward to making the faster connections for download speeds available soon, and further hardware makers across the industry are releasing products offering components that would make that a reality very soon. But Intel needs to uh, make take more time to develop its modem and won't be capable of shipping it inside new phones this fall. So under normal circumstances, Apple could simply use only Qualcomm parts for the next iPhone release, similar to what Samsung does today with its uh, Galaxy S8. But because Apple and Qualcomm are currently in lawsuits with each other, uh, it does appear that uh, Apple is not going to jump all in with Qualcomm with that X16. So the end result is that Apple devices could be shipping with both Qualcomm and Intel modems again this year, but refuse to enable faster speeds on the Qualcomm devices because Apple would, of course, not want to bifurcate the user base in uh, the faster speeds in some devices uh, versus others. Um, And it could be a moot point uh, in that there's no telling when any of the U.S. carriers are going to be upgrading to these gigabit speeds. But without the actual, uh, you know, support within it, uh, the answer is very clear and that it's not going to happen. Uh, And this, of course, is all based on speculation, but from fairly credible sources, we're hearing it from Bloomberg and uh, others. But we are understanding that this is kind of looking like this year's uh, version of the iPhone is not going to bring us up to those gigabit speeds, which uh, is kind of a bummer in in many respects in that we have networks that could be pushing those fairly soon. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens with this here but that is kind of what we're thinking at this point 
In other announcements, uh, last announcement that is from the Apple event, Tim Cook said that Amazon Prime Video will be coming to tvOS and Apple TV later this summer. Amazon's video service was previously rumored to be announced at this event, and that did indeed happen. Uh, it will integrate with the TV app, and while the company didn't announce anything new in tvOS 11, the company is, is teasing that there will be more details coming out on it later this year. Um, and 9to5Mac found that the AirPods will appear as a speaker option in the Apple TV now uh, when a user has AirPods that are signed into their Apple ID and Apple TV, meaning that you could be watching TV and listening to it on your AirPods, uh, keeping the sound from going through the TV and disturbing those that either might be sleeping or uh, doing whatever uh, else uh, in, in a home. So that's a very nice thing that they're going to be updating and allowing that to occur. Yeah, so this, uh, you know, Amazon Prime Video obviously has a, a, a pretty decent choice of uh, videos uh, like Netflix. It's nice to have both services, especially if you have, you know, Amazon Prime, the, the shipping service, you get this free included. So this will be a, a great addition to Apple TV. Uh, that, uh, it, of course, in that case, I won't need Roku anymore. I still have the original, original, original Roku from almost 10 years ago now. It's still running, and I keep that running because of the Amazon Prime video. It still supports that. Um, but if it's now into Apple TV, I probably won't need that anymore. So that's kind of a, uh, it's kind of a sad thing, but it's great that Apple is finally uh, getting over their spat with Amazon because they, you know, the competition they had a, a while back. I can't remember even what it started over. But I have another uh, kind of Apple-related story here. I replaced a battery in my old iPhone 5. My wife has that this week. So it's the first time I've ever opened up an iPhone. So that was a really interesting experience. Uh, actually, you know, taking out those little teeny screws. Uh, I ordered a battery kit for super cheap, 14 bucks on eBay, came with the repair kit and the, the battery and uh, was able to get the screen off, pry it open, uh, you know, use a little tools to pop it open. And it was actually very, uh, very easy to, uh, to get it all apart. Getting the battery out was a little tougher. I did have to heat it and pry it up because it is kind of stuck down with the, not really glue, but kind of a, uh, uh, you know, a a real strong adhesive tape. But I was able to get it out successfully and uh, pop the new battery in and put it all back together without uh, causing any damage to the device. And it uh, booted right up. So that was kind of fun to actually see the inside of of an Apple device. And it's uh, amazingly tight and compact in there. So it was uh, kind of fun to actually do that and uh, uh, breed some life back into the iPhone 5 because it was, you know, getting to about 40% and just shutting off. And what was really interesting is when I actually looked at the battery, it was the replacement battery. That wasn't the original battery from the iPhone 5 that I got in 2012. This was the one that was replaced in 2014 um, as it had that date stamp on there uh, under that recall that I had for, uh, I remember going into the Apple store and uh, they had replaced the, I can't remember if they replaced the phone or just the battery within the phone. So uh, didn't last uh, that long of, uh, didn't last that long of time because uh, this phone hasn't been use, uh, hasn't been in use constant service the whole time. It's a great do-it-yourself project at this point with iOS devices. And, you know, you can buy these new batteries and, and all of the, the tools that you need to, to take care of it from a number of different sources. And so it's it's really, you know, to as you pointed out, not that big of a deal to do it. And, uh, you know, easy to breathe some new life into these devices. And obviously that is a, you know, a nice thing to not have to throw it to the recycle bin. And, and you just, uh, you keep it going. And all it needed was just a little bit of juice added to it. So kind of a, a fun thing. Moving on, questions and comments. First up this week is a voicemail from Dominic. This is Dominic from Oklahoma City. Well, I called in about a year and a half ago saying I got a new job and with T-Mobile, I didn't get any reception. So I moved to Cricket for about a year and things have been great. There have been a few drawbacks. 
like uh, when I make phone calls, it drops down to HSPA plus. Uh, my web browsing speed is capped at uh, eight gigs a second, which is not a big deal, because you know I pay fifty-five bucks for limited everything. Well, now my department's moving, so the place they have moved to now, nobody gets reception in that room besides Verizon. So I'm thinking of moving to Verizon next week, but I, you know, I got a couple of questions. Like, you know, will I get the same amenities as a postpaid subscriber? You know, what will I get voice over LTE with my Pixel XL? And I went there and I talked to some, a couple of reps in the store, and they said that uh, the unlimited plan on the prepaid Verizon is completely unlimited. And that I won't see any slowdowns. And of course, you know, listen to you, you guys for years, I don't believe that for a second. So, I want to see what you guys think. Uh, keep the show going, and I appreciate it. Have a good one. Dominic, thanks very much for the voicemail. Uh, so, a couple of things here. So, the, the first question about, um, you know, getting throttled um, and, or not getting throttled, as Verizon is telling you. Um, you will be throttled after the 22 gigabytes if the network is congested, so don't let them tell you otherwise. That is uh, indeed the policy. As far as uh, Voice over LTE, yes, HD Voice or Voice over LTE, the the technical technology behind it, is available on pre- the prepaid service from Verizon. So you will get the upgraded sounding, you know, sound quality uh, when talking to other Verizon customers. And as we talked a couple of weeks ago, AT and T probably as well, uh, along with the ability to do Wi-Fi calling. Um, you might just need to log into your account and turn on HD voice. But if you uh, if you sign up, that is indeed there. I did find an, a, uh, um, a service article about it on Verizon's website. So it is it is there and you will get to use it. So that is good news for making that switch. And finally today, a voicemail from Josh. Hey, Mickey, this is Josh from Denver. I'm recording this on my iPhone 7 Plus. Hey, this week, my call is um, about spam or robo robo calls, I guess I should say. Uh, I I have my own business and I'm listed online and I constantly get calls. It's usually Google uh, services, so they're always telling me that my Google Ads listing is out of date and you know uh, they would like me to update. And I've tried going through the prompts and everything to try and get them to stop doing it, and it just never stops. It seems like they pick a new number and try it again. Um, so I'm guessing if I'm wondering if the do not call registry, if that helps with is supposed to help with that, um, if there's any other type of registry that I can use. Um, I've been using an app called Nomo Robo on my iPhone. It's $2.99 a month and it's pretty good about screening calls for me. When a call comes through, the app recognizes the phone number. It will tell me that it's a robo call, potential robo call and not to answer the phone, which helps out a lot. Um, because, you know, my business is kind of customer based and, um, answering phone calls is how I get my, my work. But, you know, throughout the day, if I get phone calls that yield nothing and it's just people selling things and it really kills my productivity. So anyway, I've been using that app. It's been working out great. Um, but I constantly am getting calls about, um, you know, to update my Google listing and from some person named Kelly, I never get past anything because she says, hey, it's Kelly, and then I hang up the phone. Um, so I'm just wondering what you can tell me, what can I, I do to um, kind of stop that from happening? And um, I, I know it's it's like never probably going to stop happening, but I'm just trying to, trying to do something because it's super annoying 
I just recently got a no notice that um, the company was being sued because of this, um, because of violating that um, registry. Anyway, let me know what you think. Um, love to get your thoughts on that. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for the voicemail, Josh. Uh, yes, the robocall, uh, the spam call, kind of the bane of, of all of us is, is mobile phone users. And uh, some of us get more than others. Um, mine have actually calmed down quite a bit over the last probably six months or so. Um, I started, uh, you know, very heavily blocking phone calls. It sounds like you're doing that as well. Um, you, I did not use a service uh, like Nomo Robo, like you're talking about. Um, but uh, certainly that is, I'm sure, helping at least in some regards for you. Um, but, uh, you know, the question of what you can do to stop it from happening, you know, I, I think you know, where you probably went wrong uh, was ultimately trying to go through the process, um, you know, pressing some buttons on the prompts. And, and really what you're doing at that point is starting to subject yourself to additional calls. Um, and it sounds like you're already on kind of the, 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 you know, the route of where you need to go, which is, you know, do not call .gov slash register, register your phone number there. Um, but uh, ultimately it's, this is a tough thing that uh, is, it's hard to get, uh, to get off of these lists once you're on them. Right, because robocalls, you know, they already is calling your cell phone is not really legal unless they have a prior business relationship with you. So they're already breaking the law, and the the, the fine is actually very heavy if you uh you know get caught with this. It's you know thousands of dollars per call that they're liable to uh you know to pay you back uh, if this happens to your cell phone. So they're they're obviously operating outside the law. Uh, and they don't care. So the, the do not call registry is not going to really be that helpful because they're not going to care about that. And in fact, they may use that registry to actually get your phone number. And like you'd said, Mickey, you know, replying to the prompts just proves that there's actually a live person there. So that's uh, going to make them amp it up even more. Yeah. And it's it's just a kind of a bummer of a, a situation that because you get into this, uh, you know, almost like a spiral of, you know, you, you can't you can't get away from it. And, uh, um, you know, I, I would say, you know, for you, you know, you're just you've got to be on the lookout for, um, you know, the phone calls that um, are potential business. And I know that's hard when your, your number is listed. That's another thing. If you've got a listed phone number, um, you know, you're trying to to get calls to get get business, uh, you know, drum up business, if you will. And so you're trying to answer them to be responsive. And, uh, you know, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot sometimes because then it continues that cycle. And uh, it's a, it's a, it's a problem uh, certainly. And uh, I, I, I don't have a, a real good solution for you, except perhaps, you know, you might want to, you know, push the, uh, you know, push your phone number through a virtualized service for a while, perhaps move it out to Google voice. Uh, they're, you know, spam filtering and uh, is, is fairly good. Um, although depending on the issues that you're running into here, perhaps it's not uh, that it's, it's for not. Um, but, and you know, I, and I'm not sure you, you mentioned you get a lot of these and I'm not sure if that means, you know, 10 a day, 20 a day, how many that is, but it's going to be your tolerance for t having these phone calls come in. You know, for me, it was, probably one a day, two a day at most. And so I, it was manageable. And so generally I would just not answer the call or if I happened to, you know, to answer it, then I was just hanging up and, um, you know, just moving on. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I can understand if it's just a constant barrage of phone calls, it's, it's, it can be, it can be quite a, a frustrating experience. Yeah, that's horrible. I mean, I'm, I'm glad I don't have to answer every call that comes into my phone because I, you know, usually it's, uh, I, I'm not in a sales role or anything like that, which would, yeah, I, I don't know what I would do. I'd go, I'd go insane if that was the case. I, I really, yes, very tough situation indeed. If you have any questions or comments for us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us email to questions at the cell phone junkie.com or give us a call 650-999- 0524 and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show joey thank you very much as always for your time we'll talk to you later thanks for listening 
For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com. 